0: Church, it's such an honour to share with you this afternoon, and um, I'm really excited to just tell you my testimony, because every testimony is precious, and in every testimony we discover that God really is good. And I have a story to tell you of how amazingly good God has been to me. But before I start, you might see these words above me. It's my personal hashtag, fabulous, made, (laughs) glorious. (laughs) And the reason I've chosen that personal hashtag is because I believe it represents the gospel. That we were made very good in the beginning. That we were made to reflect the goodness of God. To reflect the glory of the triune creator, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. One God, three persons, eternal love forever. We were created very good indeed. But then we fell. But God's so good, that He wouldn't just let us fall, He would take us from our fallen state and make us even more glorious. This is good news, church. This is really good news. Yes, we fell. Yes, there's sin. Yes, we're broken. But that's not the ultimate point. We're made glorious. And, you know, we're still rough around the edges. We're still, we still have struggles. But that's the ultimate truth of the gospel. And so, you know, with this question of sexuality, and I was an atheist gay rights activist. So when you understand... If you told me 10 years ago that I would be standing in front of you talking about Jesus, I would have vomited a little bit in my mouth and had one of the like, angriest reactions you have ever seen from anyone about the fact that I'm standing here right now, a Christian apologist. I spent my life speaking about the Christian faith and recommending it to people. And I was an atheist gay activist. So that's my story. God is that good. <laughs> That he took me, an atheist gay activist, and introduced himself to me. And now I am a passionate worshiper of Jesus. Come on. Hallelujah. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. But it, it gets to this point, right, where I can't really explain everything to you. I don't know why I still have these desires, I don't know why I'm still gay or same sex attracted. Maybe one day God will give me the grace of being with an opposite-sex partner. Maybe he will. But for now, he hasn't. And he hasn't changed those desires. And I've been filled with the Holy Spirit. I've had prayer. I've gone through it all. And he said to me, David, by you trusting me through this, do you understand how precious your faith is to me? That you would trust me through this and be willing to be celibate and not have a romantic partnership do you realize how beautiful that is to me? And that I just want to, you know, share that with you, that really when I relate to the Father, like, in real time, he's just so, like, David, yes, I love you because you've given me your sexuality, and I rejoice in that, but I just love you, and I rejoice that you are now mine, and I am yours. And it's that just beautiful romance that I now share with him but I don't have all the answers. I can't give you the magic formula. How do we reach the LGBTQI community and make church a place where they feel loved, welcomed, challenged, and discipled? I don't know, I have no answers anymore. I only have the life that I've lived. And so that's what I think we need to do as the church. We need to start telling our stories, all of our stories, the different stories that God has crafted in our lives, because in them, is the power to save. In them is the power for other people to connect to Jesus and see that people like them can be saved. And that they aren't rejected, but they're accepted by Jesus. And so I'm sharing my testimony today to put a stake in the ground to say God loves LGBTQI people, slash same-sex attracted, whatever title, Their people, and he loves them. And my testimony is an entry point for them to come into the kingdom and say, I'm going to give my life to you, Jesus. But you've probably heard on the media the slogan, love is love. Have you heard that? Love is love, is love, is love, is love, is love. Now at Oxford, we call this, a fancy word, a tautology. It means it doesn't mean anything. Love is love doesn't mean anything. It's not giving you a definition of love. It's an empty definition. And that's the definition our world is giving us of love. But in 1 John 3.16, it says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. I was a young 14-year-old raised in an atheist home, and I was searching for real spirituality. But I thought that I could never find that in Jesus Christ because I was gay. At the age of 10, I remember hearing two Christian uncles making homophobic comments about gay people, and I knew I was that person. And so I rejected myself when I was 11, 12 years of age, and I wrestled with my sexuality. And I wasn't raised in a Christian home, but I still had this intense spiritual hunger for more. But I thought, there's no way the Christian God loves me, not with what I hear from my uncles, not with what I read in the Bible. I'm disqualified. And there's famous spiritual writer, Henry Nouwen, himself a gay or same-sex attracted priest, who was celibate, gave his life to Jesus. And he said, over the years, I have come to realize that the greatest trap in our life is not success, popularity, or power, but self-rejection. Success, popularity, and power can indeed present a great temptation, but their seductive quality often comes from the way they are part of the much larger temptation to self-rejection. I find myself thinking, well, that proves once again that I'm a nobody, my dark side says I'm no good. I deserve to be pushed aside, forgotten, rejected, and abandoned. Self-rejection is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life because it can contradicts the sacred voice that calls us the beloved. Being the beloved constitutes the truth of our existence, the core truth of our existence. And I agreed with Henry now, I knew that when I came out, I had to accept myself. I shouldn't reject myself. But what I opted for was radical self-disclosure. Hello, my name's David Bennett. I'm gay. Oh, you have a problem with that? Well, I have a problem with you. Get out of my way, stupid Christian. And that's what I adopted, was that gay activist identity which rejected others so that I didn't have to be rejected. But what I didn't realize in that radical self-disclosure of constantly making gay everything that mattered about me, I was actually still controlled by self-rejection. And church, what I want you to understand is a lot of us as LGBTQI people, we feel rejected by ourselves, by the church, by God. And who is standing up to say no? God doesn't reject you. God loves you. And that's where we have to start in reaching the gay community for Jesus. So Ravi Zacharias, my boss, travels the world, and he says all people are searching for four main things, meaning, morality, origin, and destiny. The question of God and the question of human sexual desire involve these four major human realities. So when people are asking the question of their sexuality, they're saying, what's the meaning of this? Is it right, morality? Where does it come from, origin? And then what's going to happen to me because of it, destiny? And the the same four categories are related to the question of God. So we have two gospels in our society, the gospel of sexuality and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have made sexuality an idol that we worship, that can give us satisfaction, meaning we've removed God. You go to the cinema. There's nothing about God, it's all about romantic love. And so church, we have to preach the gospel of Jesus to show that that's actually where you find your meaning, morality, origin, destiny. And so I thought I was disqualified from the love of God. I thought that God didn't love me and there wasn't a way for me to be a Christian. And so I searched in science, but science couldn't tell me why I was gay. And the LGBTQI world told me I was simply born that way. But when I looked at the science, science says there's no conclusive, like we can't tell you that you're born that way. All we can tell you is that it's not a choice that you've made. It's not a result of abuse. It's not any of these things. It's ultimately, as we know in the gospel, because Adam fell. That's the reason people are LGBTQI. That's why heterosexual people are also broken in that area. It isn't because of anything anyone's done, other than that we fell in the beginning. And two to three percent of us statistically experiencing a same-sex attraction that doesn't change throughout our lives. So to me, Christianity was what oppressed women and LGBTQI people. And in many ways, we must face the history that we have sinfully done that as the church. But I was later to discover that Jesus never did. I discovered this definition of love, But God demonstrates His own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Love is not the idolatry of romantic attraction, we've made it. Love is ultimately grounded and defined by god's sending of jesus dying on a cross and rising to reconcile us to himself so great david thanks but it wasn't that easy i ended up at the age of 15 in a park with my boyfriend and he was from a, a traditional christian eastern um religious background, and he handed me, and you'll see on the cover of my book, he handed me a small amber cross. He put it in my hand, and I was an atheist at this stage. I've been experimenting with all sorts of different spiritualities, from Judaism to, you know, psychics, um, mystical Judaism, Buddhism, you name it, I've tried it. I was a reformed Jew for a week. And my friends had never seen an obsession in my life that had ever lasted very long. (laughs) It was like this constant fads trying to find love. So there I am with my boyfriend. He puts this cross in my hand and he says, David, as I'm about, he says, David, this is a token of faith that I want you to have. I said, why would you give me a symbol of my oppression as a present? This makes no sense. I don't, and I go on this whole rant. He's like, I just want you to have it. And I wore that cross all the way up to the age of 19. And as he put that cross in my hand and said those words to me, a man pulled up on a motorbike, took a large stone from the garden bed, proceeded to throw it against my right rib, and it went straight into my back. And I turned around and saw this man, white visor, put it straight back over, and he got on the motorbike and left. Two weeks later, I'm in the central business district of Sydney, and a man, probably a Christian, white man, saw me holding my boyfriend's hand and spat on us. And I just remember this like rage filling me, saying, I will do everything to destroy that hatred. I will come against that hatred with everything I am That cross is the reason that hatred exists. But church, what I couldn't see is that that cross was the symbol of my acceptance into the kingdom of God. And that Jesus had taken that stone and that spitting for me on the cross. But I couldn't see it. So, what do you do when you're looking for spirituality and you're kind of bored? You go to a psychic. (laughs) Two months later, I end up going to a psychic. She does my tarot cards. Her name's Rosemary. She has big, you know, red cheeks. She reads my cards, the incense. Ooh. And I'm kind of half laughing at this, but half taking it seriously. And she looks at all my cards and she goes, (gasps) David, you're a child of the light. You're destined to be with Jesus, the greatest mediator in the spiritual realms. Like, does she know who I am? Like, I'm a gay rights activist. She says, David, you're going to become a Christian. I was like give me my $20 back. I'm like, I'm out of here, like, you know, and I was... And I had my token feminist friend at the coffee shop nearby, sipping her soy chai latte. and I went and had mine, and I said, you know, I just went to this psychic. Like, she said that I'm going to become a Christian. I'm a child of the light. Like, what is she on? What is she thinking? She says, well, David, maybe you will become a Christian. I was like, mark my words. I will never become a Christian. <laughs> and God made me eat my own words later in my life. <laughs> but even again, in that place where I wasn't looking for God... God speaks to me through the Witch of Endor or Rosemary, the rosy-treaked psychic. God really is in control. And I just couldn't see it. So, you get to this point where you've searched everywhere. You're looking for love. I become a gay rights activist at university. I see one day at the university, these Gay Marriage March posters and I'm just filled with the same rage. And I'm like, all right, I'm gonna get my stapler gun and I'm gonna get me some Gay Marriage March posters and I'm gonna go to every single Christian poster. And I'm gonna like, put a Gay Marriage March poster on every single Christian poster. So I did that. I went around the whole university with hundreds of <laughs> and just like smattered the whole place with rainbow sat down and said, take that, Christians. <laughs> you know? And that sense of, like, justice for the rejection I felt from Christians. But what I didn't realize is it wasn't always really Christians. It was myself. So, I end up at this club. Some of you might have been to Sydney, Australia, Oxford Street, the gay like kind of like Soho, and I go into this pub, uh, this sorry, this this club where there's kind of the you know elite of society, elite of the political world, fine arts, all of it, and they're all partying this club. And I end up with a little journal, and I write the question, "What is love?" And the thing is, I'd started to ask this question because no one seemed to have a very good answer to the question. So I hand this out to everyone, and I'm really hoping that someone might have a decent answer. But instead I get, what is love, baby? Don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. Oh, oh, oh. Do, do, do. Great. Wonderful answer. Like <laughs> I get some austere quotes from a philosopher, some jokes, some like really horribly sexual comments. And I just, hundreds of responses in this journal from this whole room of people who are supposedly the future leaders of the nation of Australia. Nothing. No substance. And the secular ideal of romantic love cracked. And C.S. Lewis says, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. I had this itching desire. And around that time, my mother declares to me that she's become a Christian. And I say to her, Well, mother, you must choose between the God that hates me, the delusion in your head, and your real son, hello, standing right in front of you. And she said, I don't have to make that choice by loving God. I love you better, David. I was like, oh, that's a pretty good answer. <laughs> I was like, whatever, mom, like, I am not gonna deal with you going to that cult down the road. No. And I hope you're not giving them any money. <laughs> you know, so I don't know why, but we seem to always obsess about that. So then, <laughs> Reinhard Bonnke, I think, ended up praying for my brother. I mean, I was like, they are crazy in another world that has nothing to do with reason. So I end up Christmas lunch, 2008. My uncle is there, and he goes to the same church as my mum. My and he's a lawyer. So you've always got to be careful around lawyers, right? And I see him as the anti-gay, misogynistic, fundamentalist Christian, my cultural enemy. And he makes a comment about... God, God, you say, God. Well, I can tell you there is no absolute truth. I've studied postmodern philosophy at university and there is no such thing as absolute truth. You can't even communicate truth with language, let alone, you know, talk about God. I mean, it's just deluded. And what about all the women that have been oppressed? And what about all the gay people that have committed suicide? And what about all those other religions that you've rejected and hated and done all this wrong to? What about them? Like machine gun, a bit like you know what I did with the posters. Um, (laughs) My poor uncle, Um, (laughs) and he just turns to me. He says, "David, there are a few problems with what you're saying." I said, "Like what?" He said, "Well, you said there's no absolute truth, and that's an absolute truth, and you just communicated that with language. So you just doubly contradicted yourself, and I was intellectually defeated." So I got up to try to like, retain my dignity and stormed out of the room and kind of tried to close the door behind me, but it didn't quite happen. Everyone was kind of half laughing at me, half like, wow, that was intense. David is really angry. And Francis Schaefer says, in passing, we should note this curious mark of our age. The only absolute allowed is the absolute insistence that there is no absolute. That's the age we live in. Oz Guinness says, no one can live with total relativism. Fancy skeptics push them to be relative everywhere, and you'll see where they come up short, and something is not relative to them, and they're cheating. So we have this big argument. My uncle's in the car with my aunt. I go home, I'm furious. And I was like, proves it, Christians, you know, they just don't get it. But my uncle gets a prophetic word in the car with my aunt and says, I see the Holy Spirit over David. He's going to be saved in three months' time. My auntie's like, did you just see what he said to you? Like, he is not. Are you sure you're hearing God? He's like, no, 100%. He's going to be saved in three months' time. The Holy Spirit's going to come on him. Three months later, I'm in a cab on the way to three different parties I can't quite choose, and for some reason I chose, I just felt this voice draw me to this particular party at the Dolphin Hotel in Surrey Hills, Australia. There was this bright-eyed young filmmaker, an alumna of my university, who got her film into the largest short film competition in the world. And I was a journalist, and I wanted her interview. So I went up to her and I said, So how did you make this film, like what inspired you to make this film? The film was actually about mentally disabled people, and my uncle was mentally disabled. And so she really touched me, like what she was doing in the world was amazing. She said, do you want the real answer or the interview answer? I said, I want the real answer. She said, well, it was God. (laughs) I am surrounded by these Christians, you know, (laughs) Uh, and she's like, yeah, God, God, you know, yeah. And I was like, fish new, Allah, like which one? And she's like, Jesus. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and she just sees the look on my face. But I couldn't treat her like my uncle because she was doing good works. And I was like, I don't know how you could believe in that God and do that amount of good. That God that allows a person to have desires and then condemns them for them and sends them to hell. What kind of God is that? I want you to get it, church. That's how gay people feel. 2 Corinthians 3 says, their hearts are covered with that veil and they do not understand. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Hallelujah. So she turns to me and she says, well, do you believe in a God? And I said, well, I think there's something. But, you know, I'm a spiritual person, but I'm really like an atheist. And I've studied French philosophy and I go on my spiel. And she's like, David, what about Jesus? I'm like, well, he's a great man. But you know, human invented religion made him into a God. And like, he's really just a great man. And She said, I don't really think this is about that. I said, look, I've read 1 Corinthians 6, 9, I've read Romans 1, and I've read Leviticus 18, and I'm pretty sure God's not interested in gay people, so thank you so much, goodbye. Like I'm not interested in having further conversation on this topic. She turns to me as if I was just a normal human, and she says, David, have you experienced the love of God? No one had ever asked me that question I knew thousands of Christians no one ever had asked me that and she said David I know it's gonna be hard for you but I really feel the presence of God so strongly right now could I pray for you Wow Whew. I really feel the presence of God right now. Like, I I have to pray for you right now. God really loves you. And I'm like, she's basically manifesting in the spirit. And I'm like, what's that? (laughs) I've never seen this happen before. And she just says, like, can I pray for you? And I said, look, I'm a good agnostic. You know, you can pray for me. I don't think anything's going to happen. So she lays her hands onto me. And she prays the Christian prayer of the century, in Jesus' name, by the blood of Jesus, Satan, get off his life. I mean, I'm like, whoa. (laughs) What have I just walked into? (laughs) I mean, there was no chance that I was not getting saved after that prayer. (laughs) And so I'm just sitting there like, okay, girl, like this is, either she's crazy or she's 100% legit. (laughs) And so I just close my eyes, and then suddenly, as she's praying, I go into this eternal moment, and everything stops. And I hear this voice say to me, Do you want me? Hello. Creator of the universe, hotline. I never heard a voice ever speak to me in Buddhist meditation. (laughs) Do you want me? Second time. Third time, do you want me? And I said, yes. And just like 2 Corinthians 3, I saw this huge darkness between me and God, this veil. And I saw this pinprick of light come from nowhere, right into the innermost part of my being. And then I felt this breath come inside of me. And I said to her, I'm breathing without breathing. What's happening to me? Like, I'm like... I don't have lungs, but I have lungs. And she's like, you're being born again. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit loves you. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm okay. But she's like, I'm just going to keep praying for you. I was like, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. So she keeps praying for me. And as she prays for me, I hear this voice say, will you accept my son Jesus as your Lord and Savior? I'm like, oh, no, it's the Christian God. (laughs) And I feel this tug of war between two powers. This darkness, it's like, no, get away from this extremist, crazy woman. Very loud. The other, like, you're a gay actor, like, you, you can't be around these people. And this other voice saying, this is real. Very, very soft voice. This is real. You need to say yes. And in this moment, it was. A war of loves. Which way would my heart turn? Which gospel would I listen to? The gospel of romantic love and sexuality, or the gospel of Jesus? And out of my mouth came the words, yes. Just very soft, like that, and this deluge of the love of god crashed on me in that pub i got so hot that she had to go get flannels from the bar to wipe me down and i was weeping and weeping and weeping i'm like i didn't know why i was crying but it was like this inner healing was happening in that moment and jesus reached in to my life and so i go home and my mother's waiting up and she's heard about this prophetic word, so she started praying into it. And it's three months. It's, I met her in that pub the 25th of March, 2009, exactly three months after I had the debate with my uncle at the Christmas lunch table. And I go home, and my mum is waiting up. We're estranged from each other. And I'm like, hi, mum. David, are you okay? Is everything all right? Have you... Do you break up with someone? Like, what's happening? And I'm like, well, actually, I think um, I've just kind of just become a Christian. (laughs) A Christian? (laughs) Hallelujah! (laughs) I knew he was the God of the impossible. Because David, I made a covenant with him that if he's the God of the impossible, then, well, he would save you because you're impossible to save. (laughs) I was like, and there's a prophecy. And I'm like, what's a prophecy? I can't understand all this language. And she's like, a prophecy? Yes, three months ago, your uncle said that you'd be saved. Exactly tonight, three months ago, he said you would be saved in three months' time. And now here you are in front of me telling me that you're a Christian. I'm like, what? You mean you knew about this? She's like, yeah, kind of. We, yeah, uh, God giving given us a heads up. <laughs> I go to bed that night. In my sleep, I get this washing sensation. Washing, washing, washing. Saratete, baka I start speaking in tongues in my sleep. I wake up in the middle of my sleep. I'm like, I'm part of a cult. I'm part of a cult. My mother comes into the room. She's David. Are you okay? I just spoke in this weird language. Like, what's happening to me? She's like, Oh, that's that's the gift of the Holy Spirit. I'm like, Mom, I don't know what to do with this. She's like, I'll show you in the Bible. So she opens up to 1 Corinthians 12 and she shows me, you know, a man speaks in mysteries, things that no man can understand. Da 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 da. She shows me the verse that living waters will flow from within you. I take the book, and I was like, "Mom, I hate Paul. I hate the Bible, and I throw it against the wall. (laughs) I was like, I'll do Jesus, and I'll do God, but I can't do the Bible. It's just condemned me for too long. And she kind of walks out, leaves me to... (laughs) And I go to the film competition three weeks later. Now, you have to understand, I had all my gay friends at uni, and I come back to uni that day after that saying, I've met Jesus. I've met God. And they're like, Jesus, he his met God. And like, I would buy like hand sushi rolls, you know, like the Korean Japanese sushi rolls. And I'd buy them each morning as I was going to uni. And I was so changed that I gave my sushi rolls to a homeless man. <laughs> I mean, that is transformation. I'm telling you. My flat white wasn't getting drunk by me. I was giving it to whoever else and telling them that Jesus loves them. Hallelujah, goodbye. And I was just like beaming with this light. And everyone's like, David has found something. (laughs) But they also said, don't you think this is wish fulfillment? Don't you think you're just creating a God in your head because you have this desire to be fulfilled and it's not really real. And actually it's because you haven't found the right guy. Gospel of romantic love. Three weeks later, I end up at the film competition. I start to question. I'm like, God, I need a rational sign that you're real. I need a sign that you're actually there. I can't just have an experience like this, as powerful and amazing as it was. And so she wins the whole film competition. I run down to the red carpet. She has a trophy in her hand. This is the largest shopping competition in the world. There's Cate Blanchett, Jeffrey Rush. Walking past me. She comes straight over to me, she says, David, David, all night God's been bugging me to tell you that he just exists and you need to know that. And 20 minutes before she says this to me, I looked at a star in the sky and I said, God, give me a sign, give me a reply that you're real. 20 minutes later, he answered my prayer. I went to church with her that Sunday, it was the same church as my mum, my aunt and my uncle, and God had orchestrated this divine conspiracy to save me. (laughs) And so you might think, okay, great, David, amazing story. But what then? How did you live this out? And it was a really hard journey. I would come into church and I would weep for six months. I didn't do anything other than that. I can't even remember what the preacher said. I went down the altar 12 million times. Like, I was just like, God, I need you in my life and I love you and this presence is the best thing I have ever experienced in my life. And I started to read scripture and it started to come alive to me, like not like before. And over a period of 3 years, the Bible started to come alive and I started to be able to trust it for my life and my faith, and my my deeper struggles. But it came to the point where I went with my aunt at church and I said, look, what am I gonna do if I end up with a boyfriend and I wanna get married? What am I gonna do, you know? And she said to me, David, I agree with the word of God. And that's easy for me because I don't have same-sex attraction. I don't know what that's like. All I know is that you need to hear the word of God for yourself From his mouth about this because this these verses these things are so much harder for you than they ever will be for me to believe so I am never gonna hold that over you and I can't tell you the liberation I felt she said if you ended up with a boyfriend I don't think it's right but you would be welcome at this church you would have a place next to me and if someone criticized you I would stand by your side. I don't agree, but you were justified by Jesus, David. You were made right by him, even if, you fe- even if we disagree on this. And church, you know, it was in discovering that freedom that I was actually then unlocked to be able to give it up. If someone had said to me, you can't do it, it's against this, and, blah, 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 and you're not welcome, and you, you don't belong, it wouldn't have worked. And so I got to Strasbourg, France, where I went for a year overseas to study political science in France. And I was in my room, and I said, God, I need an answer on this sexuality thing. I mean, I'm in France. Like, where else do you have a romance but in France? And he says to me, I'm sending you a book for your birthday. I get a book in the mail on my birthday, Washed and Waiting by Wesley Hill, I read it, it's about a celibate, same-sex attracted Christian and his journey on my birthday. And God answers my question and I'm in my room and I cry out to God and I'm like, God, what is it that you want from me? And he says, I want you to give me your homosexuality. You have to understand, for me, this was my precious. You know, like Lord of the Rings. We all have a precious it's mine you know it's like you know talking about the flesh and I had to give my precious to God and one of the revelations I had in this moment was that sexual sin dwells in the body and the problem with it this was that when I'm raised from the dead and if I went down that path I would still be saved but I would be like lot I would only just make it into the kingdom of heaven everything else would be burnt up I want to be an Abraham. I want to be raised in glory to the words of well done, good and faithful servant. I want the inheritance of a son to be fully mine and I want nothing to come in between that and it. And as I gave my homosexuality to God, from the top of my head to the tips of my toes, I felt the resurrection power of God flow through me and my body tasted the future glory it will inherit. And ever since that day, I've just had this grace to be celibate. And it hasn't been easy. So, you know, I have this experience and I think, great, now I'm celibate and then I'm at university. Have you ever read David's Psalms? Have you ever read his experience with Bathsheba? He's the mighty king of Israel. He's defeated all, the th- he's, building the t- he's gonna build a temple, the presence of God's coming back, everything's wonderful. Oh, hello. <laughs> Who's that pretty lady? Kills his best friend or one of them to get her, has a child and the child gets miscarried because of his sin. That story, my name's David. <laughs> and so, I'm celibate, everyone, hi, yep, sure. <laughs> I go to university that day, after like, I've had this big experience with God. And there's a very attractive young gentleman there called Jerome. And suddenly, my Bathsheba moment happens. We end up going having a coffee, and I end up in bed with him. And we're about to sleep together. And the Father speaks to me. And the words from the psalm, though I make my bed in the depths of the earth, you are still there. Where can I flee from your presence? Nowhere. Church, we are imperfect. We fail. We're never pure to the only jesus is and all i knew in that moment is that i was open with god about that moment i didn't shut him out of it i said and he spoke to me he said don't try to give him the love only i can give him david and i broke down in this moment i was like i can't do this i'm a christian I can't, like, this is, no, like, I'm sorry, I'm actually a Christian, like, I can't do this. And what I discovered is that I was so changed in my heart that I couldn't do that anymore. And I said, I'll be your friend, and hey, like, come to church with me on Sunday and let's be friends. <laughs> but I can't, like, I, I'm Jesus's. He's my, my all, my everything. Yeah. So... Three years later, I'm at Oxford University, training to be an apologist, a celibate, same-sex attracted Christian, gay, whatever word you want to use. And God had brought me to the best university in the world to study theology. Because I'd said to him, not just because I'd given him my sexuality, just because I was his son. And he wanted to bless me and give me the desires of my heart. And what was amazing about that whole year in Strasbourg, France, is that God truly fulfilled the desires of my heart. He gave me a community. I ended up being plugged into this amazing international community of disciple-makers. And this, I met this lady called Mary. Now, Church, you have to understand, like, I was like celibacy, still really struggling with this idea. And so I went and met Mary all the time. She would teach me the Bible and cook me medieval French food. And she told me one day, David, three men have proposed marriage to me in my life. But God has told me over and over again that I am called to make disciples in the nation of France. And so every time those three men have proposed marriage to me, I have asked them, will you take me me to France? Will you let me fulfill the call from Jesus? They've all said no. So I said no, I can't marry you. And I met this woman who had given everything for Jesus, who had said no to marriage to lovely, elig- eligible husbands because she knew her call and her higher call in Jesus Christ and she put that above romantic love. She lived a poor life, but she had impacted hundreds of people across the nation of France that are now saved because of her. What an incredible family to give birth to. And Mary had shown me this example and I said, if she can give that up for the kingdom, so can I. And church, we need more of that today. We need more people that are like, I know my call from Jesus and I am sticking with that no matter what. Marriage is not the point. If God wants to open that to me, he can. And so that allowed me a secondary grace, a secondary blessing to say, I can give this up and follow Jesus. Three years later, I was at Oxford, as I said, and Jerome comes to Oxford. And all my Christian friends are like, don't see Jerome, uh-uh-uh, that's, like, that's kosher. David, just like, leave it behind, it's all in the past. And then I prayed and the Lord was like, your time is now. Your time is now to face this. And so I trusted God's voice and I went and met Jerome. And we were walking around Oxford in one of the beautiful colleges and he went to kiss me and I said, no. He's like, are you serious? You're still on this celibacy thing, David? Like, you're never gonna have a romantic relationship, potentially? Like, really? the only person in my life that has ever made me think maybe jesus is really real wow. <clears throat> because what we don't understand church is if we compromise our holiness and our ho- being holy isn't about trying to be perfect little moral citizen being holy is about being fallen, broken not able to do it, but depending on God and being real with him and letting him be strong in your weakness. And so through the holiness that had been developed in me by the Holy Spirit, (laughs) Jerome was able to see that Jesus was real. So I invited him to church. And I said to him, what is a bit of sexuality, Jerome, compared to an eternity with Jesus? I love you. I would never compromise that possibility that we might be able to spend eternity together as friends. Because Jesus says there is no marriage in heaven. We will be like the angels. So Jerome comes with me to church. It's a bit like this church. St Aldates all dates at Oxford. Everyone's got their hands raised, praising God. Jerome's face is like... I mean, he's Catholic, he's never seen anything like this. And we go to the bus and I drop him to go back to France and he says to me, David, thank you for loving me. and Thank you for showing me Jesus. I'm going to consider becoming a Christian because of you. And he left and we never spoken again. But that's the redeemer that we serve. That's the kind of thing, church, I can't say to you that I've lived this perfect life. I can't say to you that... but. Jesus has kept me in holiness through the transparency of our relationship. And he's kept me to this day completely unblemished, completely in faith, even through my deepest weaknesses. And so I want to encourage you all, like with my testimony, that that's the God we serve, that that's the God of the Bible that exists. And so we come to this last scripture which I really love, that's been a huge encouragement to me in my journey. So there was this ancient category for a group of people that didn't fit into the sexual gender norm, and they were called eunuchs. They often served in kings or queens' palaces, um, and they, they couldn't have children. And Jesus talks about this in math, the Gospel of Matthew. He says, some are born cel- eunuchs, Some become eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom, and some are made eunuchs by men. And this group, the eunuchs, couldn't enter the temple of God because they were deemed unclean. But in Isaiah 56, it says, Let not the eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree, for this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, To them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than having sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. So the gospel is good news, even for people like me. There is a name even better than having kids and a family and all of that. There's such a glorious name. And in fact, in Revelation, it talks about this group of people who have never had sex actually kept for the lamb they're called the first fruits of the lamb's ministry because you know what church in isaiah 53 it says who has heard of his generation and isaiah 53 sorry who has heard of his generation isaiah 53 describes the sacrifice of the cross that jesus became a eunuch for the sake of of the kingdom of heaven. He never had a family. He gave up his sexuality to save us. And people who are called to do this actually have this name that's better than sons and daughters. It's the name of Jesus who became a eunuch for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And So this is just amazing news. I never knew the God that I've described to you in my testimony. I never knew that he was real, that he loved me, and that even though I had these desires, he had chosen me before the foundation of the world to be his. And there are thousands of people outside those doors who don't know that he's chosen them before the foundation of the world, and that he doesn't reduce them down to one word he sees them as his beloved children and wants to give them the right to become his beloved children. So church, the question really is from my story, will you invite people into the love of God? Will you ask them the question, have you experienced the love of God? Will you look beyond the anger and the culture war we're in to the deeper part of people's hearts and speak to that? Um, I might just say a prayer as well as we close. Um, Lord Lord Jesus, thank you for the honour and privilege to share what you've done in my life with my brothers and sisters. I pray, Lord, that this moment would break new ground for Kensington Temple. Lord, that this would be a place for all nations to encounter and know you and worship you in spirit and in truth that in the future, Lord, many, many LGBTQI people and beyond will come to know you in the power of the name of Jesus. Amen.